Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. Hey, good morning and welcome to City Baptist Church Online. I'm so glad that you decided to join with us today. I wanna encourage you right before we get into the message, if it's your first time watching with us, would you go ahead and let us know about it? You can get in the chat there and, and let us know that you're new. Just put your name or whatever and say, hey, it's my first time today. We'd love to greet you. Or if you like, you can click on one of the uh, ads and you can, or up at the very top, we got some links and you can go to uh, the connection card, the online connection card, which would be really great to uh, have you reach out to us and let us know that you're there. And uh, we'd like to have your information and send uh, to you a uh, Tim Hortons gift card or a Starbucks e-gift card uh, would, be, would be fantastic if you just give us that information. You just share whatever information you're comfortable with. But thanks for joining with us today. And uh, I'm excited to have you here. I hope that you'll communicate with us uh, throughout the sermon, even putting in some quotes and thoughts in the chat just to encourage one another. But I'd ask you to take your Bibles with me today and let's go to the book of Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11, as we continue the amazing true story, don't forget that, the amazing true story of the gospel spread from Jerusalem into uh, Judea, Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the earth, fulfilling really God's last command uh, to his disciples. And so I'm excited to continue this today. Now, last Sunday, what we saw was a very critical moment in time for the gospel message as God broke down the barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he broke down those barriers by preparing two different men. He prepared a guy by the name of Cornelius. Uh, he was a um, uh, he was a centurion, a Roman centurion. Then he also used Peter, who was a Jewish fisherman. Now, here's how the preparation worked, and we covered it in last week's message. God uh, prepared Cornelius to be saved, and then he prepared Peter to overcome his prejudice and realize that the gospel was for every single person. No matter what their background, no matter what their past sin was, the gospel is for everyone, just as it continues today to be for everyone. doesn't matter where you're from. doesn't matter what your background is. The gospel is for you. And so that day in Caesarea, what happened was a monumental mindset shift when the Holy Spirit got involved and came down upon those Gentile believers and they were baptized then and adopted into the family of God. It is no wonder to me as we read that story in Acts 10, it's no wonder at all that when the Jewish believers who were there, there's about seven of them that were there with Peter, it is no wonder that when they saw what was happening, the Bible tells us that they were astonished, which means to be displaced, to be completely thrown off. You ever been thrown off before? Like, I just did not expect that. That's exactly what happened to those Jewish believers. They were completely astonished and they responded in that way. And I believe the, the reason they responded in that way is because for the very first time, they truly understood what Jesus was saying when he said that the offer of salvation is extended to all people everywhere. Peter later on said this in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. He said that the Lord is long-suffering to us word. He is not willing that any should perish. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, that same offer extends to us today where any person, if they would repent of their sin, they would place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, they would turn from their uh, beliefs that they can somehow save themselves through their good works, and they would turn in faith to a loving God, you also can be saved today. And that's the good news of the gospel. But for those Jews that were there, it was barrier breaking. It was a, um, an upbringing or a past shattering truth that was revealed to him. And then for Peter, what it did is it completely shifted his focus for his personal ministry. 
It also shifted the focus then of the book of Acts moving forward. And we see the book changing from being primarily focused on the Jewish believers to now focus almost entirely from this point on, on the Gentile nations and cities as they began to develop and grow uh, in the gospel. But as for what happened in Caesarea, you have to remember, word traveled pretty fast. Even in those days before the internet, word traveled really fast. And so what happened in Caesarea with Peter soon made its way back to the church in Jerusalem and the believers there. And so when Peter returned from Caesarea, the believers confronted him, they came to him and they began to ask him what it was that happened. And so Peter then repeated for them what happened. So as we get to Acts chapter 11, verses one through 18, what you see is that Peter basically repeats what took place in chapter 10. Now, sometimes when you read the Bible, this is, a, this is just a sort of a Bible study thing. Sometimes when you read the Bible and you notice that it repeats stories uh, or repeats events or repeats phrases multiple times, uh, sometimes you wonder like, okay, we got it already, right? Like we figured it out. This is just one chapter to another. But often in scripture, when you see things being repeated, themes or topics or even stories, it's because God is trying to get something across to us. He's trying to emphasize something to us. And so this story here that is in Acts 10 and then repeated in Acts chapter 11 is also repeated again later on. And the reason is because it is a very, very important uh, change of, of events that took place um, in the early church. And so Peter arrives back to Jerusalem and he begins to tell them and describe for them what happened. And so he returns in the first 18 verses. We won't read them all. I'll just give you the quick, uh, the quick overview, but he's confronted by the believers. They say, hey, we heard that you were eating with Gentiles. What's the deal with that? You're not supposed to be doing it. And so he explains to them how he received this vision from God. And he, he talked about uh, the sheep coming down and the animals that were in there and how he responded to God by saying, God, I've never done this before and I'm not going to start doing it now. And then how God brought that vision to him three more times. And so um, that's what happened. And he told him about it. And he also said that when he woke up, there were some men outside his door that were saying that they also had been sent from another man who had had a vision from God. And, and God just sort of brought that all together, confirming to Peter that his vision truly was from God. And so he's retelling this story. And so he tells him how he went to Cornelius's house then up in Caesarea, uh, how he met him. And then what he says is that as I began to preach to those Gentiles that were there, and again, for those Jews that have been like, what, you preached what to them? You preached the Messiah? Yes, he did. He preached the Messiah to him. And as he began to preach, get this, as he began to preach, he says that the Holy Spirit came down on us just like in the beginning. Look at verse 15 there of Acts 11. That's where we'll pick it up. He says, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them. And this is so cool, as on us at the beginning. What's he talking about? He's talking about the day of Pentecost. So he's saying just like the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, just like it came down in Samaria, the Holy Spirit came down on those Gentile believers. And verse 16 is so great. He says, then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. What, what happened to Peter here? Well, what happened to Peter is that the Holy Spirit is doing what, Peter, what Jesus said it would. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, is going to bring you remembrance of what he said. It's also going to teach you. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, this is just how the Holy Spirit continues to work today. He brings things to our remembrance. When we're reading the word of God, he reveals things to us. And the Holy Spirit is our teacher and our comforter. And that's what Peter was starting to recognize. He's like, wait a minute, that spirit uh, that I got back at Pentecost, it reminded me when I saw these Gentile believers, he saw like, okay, this is of God. And so he retells his story, but look at the response of the Jewish believers in verse number 17. 
He says, for as much then as God gave them the like gifts as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, what was I that I should withstand God? In essence, he's saying, what? These are his thoughts. These are his internal thoughts. He's saying, who am I that I should resist God? Verse 18, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God saying, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Notice here, they glorify God and they recognize that God was giving them repentance unto life. You know, up until this point, Peter and the other Jews believed that the Holy Spirit coming down was only for them. It was only for Jewish believers, but now they've witnessed it come down to those Gentile believers. And then the application of Christ's word then then began to have a broader application uh, to their lives. It's like when you get saved. You know, when you first get saved and, and you read the Bible, maybe for the first uh, couple of times after you got saved, and you're like, whoa, I never saw it in this way. Many of you, before you were saved, you read the Bible, maybe. You searched out holy books or different scriptures, and, and you didn't quite understand what was going on. But then when you received Christ, the Bible just came alive to you. That's the Holy Spirit doing its work. And so that's what was going on with Peter. That's what happened with those Jewish believers. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I remember for the first time recognizing that there's more stars in the universe than what I could see from my front yard. Now, I grew up in the city, and uh, there's a lot of light pollution, they call it. And I remember you could see a few stars. You could see the moon, you know, on a, on a clear night. Um, but I remember when I got a little bit older, probably eight or nine, and we went down to our campground, to the church camp there, and uh, I was out overnight, and I think there was no camp going on because I was out with some friends, and we were staying up late, and we went out in the middle of the field, and we laid down on a clear night, and we laid down in the field, and there's trees all around us, and I remember for the first time seeing what exactly the sky looked like. And I got a little picture of it here. That's not, I didn't take that picture. Uh, that's the idea though, where you have trees kind of rimmed around you and no light pollution. And I remember seeing it and just being like in total awe of the universe and realizing that what I could see in the city here is nothing like I could see out there where it was totally dark and, and, and just being awakened to the massiveness of the universe. And that's what's happening with these Jews. As they begin to recognize that God's gospel is for everyone, they are awakened, in essence, to the, the, the hugeness of God's love, the bigness of his grace. And that's why they glorified God, recognizing uh, his will, and then they committed themselves to it. By the way, this is always an appropriate response when you are confronted with the word of God. Whenever God speaks to you through a message or through your personal devotions, you should respond like these Jewish believers. It says that they were silent. And so when we hear things from God, we should take a moment of reflection and of quiet and then give glory to God. Well, how do we give glory to God? Well, we give glory to God by then obeying what he shows us. And that's what we see here among the Jewish believers from this point forward. We see them obeying God in preaching the gospel, not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well, and beginning even to actively take the gospel to the Gentiles. And they see some incredible results along the way. Now, at this point in the passage, this is where it's kind of like in a movie where the camera zooms way out, you know, and then it moves over and then it zooms way back in. So I want you to imagine the camera zooming out from Jerusalem and Peter, he's there with those believers. It comes way out and then it shoots all the way over north, almost, uh, almost 500 kilometers north, about 480 kilometers north to the city called Antioch. And then the camera like zooms all the way back in showing, I tried to figure out a way to show you how to do that. I couldn't figure it out this week, but you know what I'm talking about as it went all the way then to Antioch of, uh, of Syria. And what we're going to see in this passage is that where the door was open to the gospel, to the Gentiles in Caesarea, 
in Antioch, the door of the gospel is about to be kicked open, essentially. It was cracked open, and now it's going to be kicked open as multitudes of Gentile believers begin to be saved and turn to Jesus Christ. And we're going to see here the church there called the church at Antioch, and we're going to see how they are a model church for us, even today, 2,000 years later, how they are a model church for us in the way that they approached ministry. And so we're going to look at the three attributes of a, of a church that honestly could change the world. That's the title of my message today is a church that changed the world. And it's this church here in Antioch. They became a major player in the growth of the church moving forward from this time. But it, it was going to take some things to happen. Or it needed some things to happen. There was going to be some people who had to do things a little bit differently. And so that's what we're going to see. And I want to start in verse number 19 today, because in verse 19, it basically get, tells us the status quo. It tells us what was going on uh, at that point. So let's read verse number 19. It says, now, when, uh, uh, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, and we'll talk about that in a second, they traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now, if you remember back in the book of Acts in our study, we covered the persecution of Stephen. We covered what Satan was trying to do and as he was trying to stamp out the fire of the gospel that was there in Jerusalem. But the thing that Satan was trying to do, though he was trying to stamp it out, in reality, what he was doing was simply spreading the embers of the gospel fire. And so though he took Stephen's life, those that were scattered because of it began to start fires or start churches everywhere that they went. And now here we are seven years later, starting to see the results of that as far away as the city uh, of the city of Antioch. Now, when they were spread out, though, these Jewish believers primarily continued to reach out to Jewish believers only, or Jewish people only. Every city that you would go would have a pocket of Jewish people. And so they would go there, they would set up there, and they would begin to reach out to those people and, uh, and, begin to, and begin to witness to them. But in verse 19 and then to verse 20, we see a change happen. And that's where we come to the first characteristic of this church that, we, uh, uh, that we're going to study today. And so point number one, I want you to see here that the church in Antioch had a heart of evangelism. A heart of evangelism, point number one. And we'll begin reading again in verse number 20. It says, so, so status quo, they were sharing the gospel to Jews only. Now verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. I love that. They came there and they began to preach the Lord Jesus. And look at verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. See, there's a change of focus that happens from verse 19 to verse number 20. They go from a group of displaced and persecuted Jews reaching other Jewish people in Antioch to now these men immigrating in with a Jewish background from Cyprus, from Cyrene, that's Northern Africa, coming into Antioch, immigrating there, and specifically, they were believing Jews, specifically made their ministry focus in evangelizing Gentiles in Antioch. Now, the city of Antioch was north, like I mentioned, it's way up, it's not far from the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea about 480 kilometers north of Jerusalem, Antioch was a very unique city. It was famous for its chariot races. It was also famous uh, for its deliberate pursuit of pleasure. Some people today, you might refer to it as the Las Vegas uh, along the Orontes River uh, is how some people would describe it. But it was most famous for its worship of Daphne. There was a temple to Daphne about five, uh, eight kilometers outside of, uh, outside of the city there. And, um, and it was known for its temple prostitution. 
it was such a uh, uh, immoral city that oftentimes people referred to it. Uh, other Romans talked about how immoral the city was. And so that tells you what kind of a place it was, but it was also very multicultural. They estimate about 500,000 people lived in that region during that time. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And about a seventh of that population were Jews, probably around uh, 70,000 people. And so those were the people that they were going to, uh, telling about the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were the ones that were uh, preaching to these Jews about the Messiah that he had come. But as was the case, they kept the message to themselves, even in a city that large. And so we have these men who come in, Greek-speaking Jews, who changed the whole situation, and they made evangelism. And this is the point. They made evangelism the whole focus of their ministry going forward. And look at the results that they saw back again in uh, verse number 21. It says, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and say it with me at home there, and turned unto the Lord. Can I tell you this today? The hand of the Lord is always with those who take his gospel to other people. The hand of the Lord will always go with you if you have a heart to share your testimony and a heart to witness to others. As Isaiah said, God's word will not return void. And when we step out and when we share the truth, God will be with us. And the thing I want you to notice about this passage is that Antioch was not evangelized by apostles, but these were just average members. They were people in Christ's body who were willing to share their faith. But wherever they landed, they started a fire and started telling other people about the truth of the Messiah. These were everyday believers empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And what they did and what we will see is that they blew away the holds of paganism and of idol worship and of, of, of immorality in this area. And they began to tell other people about the Lord. And many, many, many came to know Jesus Christ. And they are a tremendous example to us as a church family today. You know, a lot of churches today, uh, and you can't just broad stroke anybody, and I, I get it, but there are a lot of churches today that are more concerned and fall into the trap of caring more about protecting their own way of life, or they care more about protecting their church culture than they do about sharing the gospel with unbelievers who would mess that up. It's an unfortunate thing when a church is more concerned with preserving, well, this is who we are, or this is how we do church, or it's always been this way. It's a sad day when you're more concerned about that than you are about sharing the gospel with other people. And what I love about these believers is that it is not a concern for them. Their focus is sharing the gospel with everyone, preaching Jesus to the city of Antioch. You know, City Baptist, we cannot be salt and we cannot be light if we are never involved with those that only live in and only know a corrupt and a dark world. See, the Antioch Christians did not uh, withdraw their contact from people who do not understand the gospel. They shone brightly in the middle of them. And it's no surprise to me, it's no surprise when you understand this heart, it's no surprise that God used them to tremendously impact the rest of the world, honestly, with the gospel. And they were the first really sending missionaries and doing incredible works of God. And it's because they had a heart of evangelism. They remembered what Jesus said in Matthew 5, where he says, ye are the light of the world. Statement end. If you're a believer, you are to be a light in this world. Then he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but in a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Then he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Why? And glorify your father in heaven. 
The point of our good works is to glorify God and to point other people to him. The point of our good works is not to get into heaven. Our good works are to point other people to the source of heaven, which is Jesus Christ himself. And this church here made a great difference in their city, and they became an example to all of us because of their heart of evangelism. And church, that's what City Baptist was founded on. City Baptist was founded on reaching out to our community, having a heart for other people. And we must always remember that that's what it's all about. It's all about sharing Jesus Christ with those that do not, do not know. And Antioch, well, Vancouver greatly reflects Antioch in its pursuits. And we must be the lights. And so if we're going to be a church that changes the world, a church that makes a difference, we've got to have a heart for evangelism. But secondly, I want you to see that there must be a heart for discipleship. There must be a heart for discipleship. You know, when a person uh, comes to Jesus Christ and when they accept him as their personal Lord and Savior, it is a biblical principle that someone should come alongside them and teach them and help them mature in the faith. They should come alongside them and help them grow in such a way that eventually they will be able to teach other people also. See, in the, especially here in this church and these believers in Antioch, they were saved, but they needed to be trained. And since they did not have the completed word of God that we have today, they needed someone to come and to help them and to train them just as we still need today. And so that's what happened here. The church in Jerusalem heard what God was doing. And what I love is that they're willing to send Barnabas all the way up to Antioch. They were willing to pay for him to go and support him and take care of him just so that he could teach these new believers in Antioch. And so we pick up in verse number 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was, at, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came, here's some key phrases, and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all, and with purpose of heart they would cleave unto, that with purpose of heart, sorry, they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. You know, Barnabas was the perfect guy for this assignment. He was a man who was already known as an encourager, and he was a man who was good, as the Bible describes him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And when he arrived at Antioch, you got to think, he arrived there thinking, man, there's all these Christians, but they have no teaching. And instead, what he finds is that when he gets there, he's encouraged, he's lifted up. It says that he was glad, and he was glad not because of necessarily what he saw, but he was glad because of the grace of God in the lives of these people and in this city, Antioch. And here's the great thing. Church, whenever you invest yourself in somebody else, when you commit to discipling them and training someone, you will always be blessed yourself. You will always be blessed yourself. You know, sometimes we go in to be a blessing to someone, but instead we receive a blessing. And that's what we see here with Barnabas as he comes, the encourager. Uh, I mean, that's what he was known for. He comes to encourage, but instead he himself is encouraged and made glad and excited. Now, certainly if you think about it, there was an element of accountability to this. The church in Jerusalem wanted to make sure that things were going as they should, that the truth was being taught. And so there was that element of accountability, and that's an aspect of discipleship is accountability. We should never fear accountability when it comes to the word of God. We should fear accountability to somebody else's ideals or somebody else's opinions of us, but we should never fear accountability to the word of God. That's a part of discipleship. And so uh, he comes and uh, the church at Jerusalem wanted to make sure that there was some quality control. You can maybe call it that uh, there in Jerusalem because of the growth. And of course, oftentimes when there was a lot of growth, there were some people who had come in, false teachers, and we'll see that later on uh, in the book of, of Acts. But he came in and he just began to encourage them. And what he encouraged them was, he says, I want you to remain faithful. 
I want you to remain faithful with a real purpose of heart. You know, that's such a key phrase, isn't it? That he encouraged them to remain faithful because that's really what we need, don't we? Every single week when we come together, we say, hey, stay faithful. And we try to encourage each other because we need that encouragement to live in this ungodly world that we are all in. We also need to be challenged to to continue to live for the Lord as well. I think you guys understand this, but discipleship is not just a uh, pep talk. (laughs) Discipleship is uh, not a 14-week course, although we have a 14-week discipleship course that we call it. Discipleship uh, involves being challenged regularly to pursue God, to live a life of purity, to stay right with God. And then if you're someone who is discipling somebody else, you're helping them become a follower of Jesus. Uh, There's also the element of walking with them through challenges, encouraging them through their difficulties. You know, so often I think we're so afraid to share challenges that we might be going through that no one else can even help us. And that's part of being a discipler of encouraging someone is that you challenge them and say, hey, stay true to the word of God. And you walk with them through those difficulties. I know many of you are thankful, but I'm definitely thankful for those like my parents and like my pastors and uh, youth pastors and those that have invested their lives into me over the years. I'm so thankful that they were willing to do that and challenge me and teach me in my faith. Listen, if you've had somebody in your life that's mentored you, that's taught you, that's challenged you, never take that for granted. And at the same time, when you're not taking for granted that somebody invested in you, I would hope that you would have the same desire to invest in someone else just like they invested into you. It's so important that we as a, as a church are investing in other people. Well, Barnabas arrives there in Antioch and, and he's beginning to teach. And it says that many more people were added unto the Lord. And so Barnabas recognized that he needed some help. And so he kind of goes way back in his memory and he thinks of someone who is, it's time for them to get back into ministry. And I know you're already ahead of me, but don't jump ahead. Let's go ahead and read verse number 25. I love this. He says, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now, Saul, it's been seven years since we've heard of him. He's been in the wilderness. He's now obviously back at his home place of Tarsus. He's been quiet. He's been meditating with the Lord. He has not been. A whole lot has been going on. But Barnabas remembered and knew that he was there. And so he's like, you know what? Maybe the Holy Spirit led him to to do this. But he says, it's time for him to get active. It's time for him to get serving the Lord. And so he goes to Tarsus to seek Saul. It's been seven years. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. So he went looking for him. He found him and said, hey man, come with me. And it came to pass, look at this, that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. A whole year. And they taught much people. That's an emphasis. They taught a lot of people during that time because a lot of people were getting saved. And the disciples, this is, this is I, you know, I've said this is so great a bunch of times already today, but this is really great right here. I love this. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first here in Antioch. Now I'm going to come back to that in just a second, but back to Barnabas going and getting Saul. You know, it's really, to me, I find it very humbling, a humble act of Barnabas that he would go and get Paul and ask him for help. You got to think about it. Barnabas could have uh, Barnabas could have made him a name for himself, couldn't he? He could have made a name for himself as the pastor of the massive church in Antioch, the church that's about to change the world. He could have made a name for himself, but instead he realized he needed help. He realized maybe where there were some shortcomings in his life maybe. And he got Saul, a man who was gifted in teaching, to share the load with him. Now soon the spotlight would be completely on Saul. No longer would it be Barnabas and Saul. It would be Paul and Barnabas. Of course, after his... Uh, 
his name changed. And, and, and Paul would soon be the man, in essence, if you want to call him that. He would be the one that everyone knew about. But here we see them together for an entire year in Antioch, dedicating themselves to teaching the word to those believers. You know, teaching the word, being taught the word is essential in disciple making. I mean, there's a lot of great Christian music out there right now, but I got to tell you, just listening to worship songs or listening to streams on, on, uh, on Instagram or uh, uh, not on Instagram, what am I talking about? On Spotify uh, or on, uh, on YouTube, you know, listen to music. That's not necessarily going to mature you as a new believer. Neither will just attending church services, though you should attend every service that you possibly can go to. Christians need to know the word, and part of that comes studying it themselves, being taught it, but we also need to know how to apply the scriptures, and we all need faithful instruction in the word of God. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul said this later, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is the, in a summary, the idea of discipleship that we would be taught and then we would teach someone else who then could teach somebody else. I'm afraid that for many Christians, they are taught the word, but then it just ends right there. there there's no qualifiers on here. It doesn't say only pastors. It doesn't say uh, only, uh, uh, only uh, d- um, people with gifts or, or, or anything like that. We all should be teaching. We all should be passing on the word of God. But I want you to notice that phrase that I mentioned earlier back at verse 26, where it says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Notice, the Christians there did not call themselves Christians. It says that the people in Antioch called them Christians. So they weren't like, hey, we're Christians. No, no, the people in the city were like those Christians. And that means a little Christ. That means somebody who is a follower of Jesus Christ. To the people there in Antioch, it might have been derogatory, but to those believers there, it was a great compliment. We only see this term used three times uh, in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, it happens here in chapter 26, and then it happens again in 1 Peter chapter 4. But in each case, it is a term that outsiders would use. Uh, much like as Baptists, we're called Baptists, but at first we were called uh, rebaptizers or Anabaptists. It was used as a derogatory term that came to represent a, a, set, a set of beliefs and what we believe as Christians today or as Baptists today. Um, but in the same way, it was that way. It was, it was a derogatory term. Those little Christ, those little followers, they would have never invoked the name of the Messiah for themselves, but it was others who put that name upon them. I found this quote. Somebody said this about it. I want to read it in its entirety to you. It says, this then is another turning point in the history of Christianity. The followers of Jesus were so different from the culture around them that citizens had to develop a third classification of people, something new and beyond the Jew and Gentile distinction. Where once the world saw Christians as Jewish followers of Jesus the Nazarene and assumed uh, they followed some divergent form of Judaism, something changed. Clearly, the followers of the way, and that's what they were referred to before, clearly, the followers of the way comprised of people of all cultural backgrounds weren't just Jews. But because some of them had converted from Judaism, they weren't exactly Gentiles either. People from all sorts of nations uh, were worshiping together And this unified group represented a third race of people, if you wanted to call it that. These Christians were a new humanity. It reminds me of what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse number 9, where he said, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar 
people. We hate that term, but it really does represent what's being talked about here in Antioch. They were different. They were not like anybody else. They weren't like the Jews. They weren't like the Gentiles. They were this whole new group of peculiar people. Why that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, these Christians at Antioch personified what has stayed with true followers of Christ ever since. And that is there is to be a distinctiveness between us and the world. It's always been an identifier of who we are, that we are different than the rest of the world. But it's also been not only an identifier, but it's been one of the greatest struggles of modern day Christianity of, because there's such a, a mindset of we need to try to fit in so much with the world. Listen, from day one, there's been a distinction. And the distinction has been that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And that bears the question, do people in your life, in your family, in your workplace, do they know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? We have got to be committed, like Barnabas and Saul here, to remain true to the word of God. And as they taught the people, it made such a difference that there was a totally new classification called Christians. And they were called that first there in Antioch as it broke down social and racial barriers and it brought unity among diversity. You know, there's nothing more unifying than coming together around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and what we also see here is that there's no grounds for superiority or elitism in the Christian faith because Christ's followers are all about him. They aren't all about themselves. And this church made a difference because they were committed to evangelism. They were all about discipleship and training and real life difference where the word of God made a change in them that even changed their reputation. But then lastly, we see in the passage that they also had a heart of compassion. They were people with a heart of compassion. Now, we've seen the events surrounding, we've seen some things actually happening, but now in the rest of the chapter, we see a glimpse into the heart of the people. And I love it because it's so detailed into something so specific as they show mercy and generous sacrifice to those that are in need. Look at verse 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. So more came up. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a great dearth, that means famine, throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Now, this is a really interesting little story here. And it involves this guy, Agabus, comes from Jerusalem to Antioch, and he comes and he tells them there is a famine that is going to come. Now, we estimate this to be around AD 41 when this actually happened. Now, the dearth or the famine that was to come doesn't actually happen historically for another four years in AD 45. There was a great flood of the Nile River, and it took out the harvest, almost an entire harvest of crops there in in Egypt. And so because they were known as the breadbasket of that area of the world at the time, that flood devastated the crops, the price of grain and everything went way up in the air and it affected the Roman, the entire Roman empire for years and years and years to come. So he gives this prophecy four years before it's going to happen. AD 41, it happens in AD 45. He says, this thing is about to happen. But notice how the church responded. And this is, this is amazing. It talks about their heart. It says, then the disciples, those in Antioch, Every man, that's key, every family unit, every person, according to his ability, and that's a key phrase right there, what they were able to do, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, this is amazing to me. 
The famine hadn't even happened yet. Nothing was coming along, and yet these disciples, these followers in, in Antioch, this church decided, you know what, if this is coming, we better start doing something to help out. And so they embraced his prophecy by faith, and they decided to gather things together, gather money, and send relief then to the believers in Judea ahead of what was to come. Now, this is so different than the way that we think, you know? I, I mean, can you imagine if somebody came on the news I don't know how they would figure this out, but say, you know what? It looks like the supply line's drying up, and 2021, there is going to be a shortage of whatever, toilet paper. <laughs> There's going to be a shortage of toilet paper worldwide. It's going to be a worldwide famine of toilet paper. What do you think would be happening? Wait a minute. We've seen that. There'd be a huge rush. There'd be stockpiling. You'd be calculating how many sheets of squares a day I need, and people would be figuring it out and be stockpiling and, and gathering it together. What we wouldn't be doing is, hey, let's get it and let's send it to our missionaries. But that's what we see here. They know a famine's coming. They know a dearth is coming. Uh, and if we knew an economic breakdown or a pandemic was coming, man, we would be preparing for ourselves. But yet they say, you know what? Hey, let's gather some things together. Let's all give and let's help those in Judea, the Jewish believers. Let's send some stuff to them so that they can be encouraged and that they can get through this difficult time. Man, what a great reminder to us that we should always be willing to show compassion to others we should always be willing to give even when our own circumstances are in question. They didn't know how far the, the, the famine was going to go. It would have affected Antioch for sure. But regardless of that, they said, you know what? We're going to send and we want to help other people right now. And that's the point that we need to get. Uh, all of us need to be giving and helping and showing compassion through a heart of, uh, a heart of generosity. Even, it says, as they could, even from where we are right now. Sometimes we say, oh, man, when I make a bunch of money, then I'm going to be the best giver. You know, we've all daydreamed, like, man, if I had, you know, if I had like a million dollars, man, I'd give, I'd give 100 grand to missions. And we daydream about it. Guess what? That rarely happens to anybody. And often when it does happen, they don't end up giving it anyway. So rather than daydreaming about what you would do when you have something, we should start where we are right now and being faithful to giving to our church and giving to missions and, and giving to other people uh, that have needs. It is this kind of generosity that is transformational, and that transformational generosity comes as a result of the gospel that has changed us. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9, where it says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus is the greatest example of generosity where he left heaven's glory to come to earth, to become a man, to die on the cross for our sins and became poor for us so that in him we can find the righteousness of God and we can be made rich and we can go to heaven and we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is the greatest riches that you could ever have in all of this life is knowing for sure that you have life outside of this world and that you're going to heaven. And Jesus gave to us that amazing gift and he is a, a reflection to us of what true generosity looks like. In this church in Antioch, they gave selflessly, they gave generously, and they gave corporately. They gave together to meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ there in Judea. And as Acts 12, 25 tells us, Barnabas and Saul took it down there to them and they completed their mission. And what a powerful testimony. What a powerful testimony of the transforming power of God within a church family. And it became, and it came about because some Christians shared their faith without apology. They recognized their need for growth. And then when that growth happened and they were taught the word of God, they allowed it to transform them in such a way that they were willing to give and to help other believers that they had never even met before. This was a church that radically was transformed internally first, 
and then it transformed a city from that point on. And it can be an incredible testimony to us as believers today, especially when it comes to City Baptist Church, as to how we can also have the same kind of impact in our city that we so desire. So what can we learn from the church in Antioch? I want to close this up very quickly with a couple of statements. What can we learn? Well, the first thing we can learn is that we must continue to make the gospel our priority. We must continue to make the gospel our priority as a church family. It needs to be first place for us. We are getting the gospel out in whatever way we can, at whatever expense we can. We want to tell other people about Jesus Christ. That's our first calling as a church. But the second thing that we can learn from this church is that we must always be in pursuit of spiritual growth. We've got to be pursuing spiritual growth. And so if you've never been in a discipleship course, I'd say get in a discipleship course. If you're struggling with coming out for Bible studies on Wednesday nights, or you're struggling with being in church on Sunday, make it a commitment. Say, I'm going to be there for their services. Make sure you're listening to podcasts and you're reaching out uh, to others who can help you grow in your faith and and make it a, a focused effort to be growing. But then thirdly, we must have a heart of compassion for internal and external needs. We must have a heart of compassion for internal and external needs. We, we must be the kind of person who can look around and see needs and, and, uh, and be willing to uh, help other people, even if it's just small. We've got to learn to be generous even when our own circumstances are not quite what we think that they should be. But the point is this, none of these will make a difference unless it is done in the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God's power to work at us. It, you can do as much good works as you want. It's not gonna make a difference unless God is working through you. You know, the church here in Antioch was not born because they had an awesome worship team. It was not born because they had great programs uh, or because they had an amazing facility. They changed a city because of their love for God and for sharing his gospel, and they went about it in his power. So my question for you today is how about you? What about you? How is your passion for the gospel today? Are you sharing the truth with those that do not believe? Are you uh, telling others who need to hear the gospel? Are you sharing it? We have so many great mediums today to share our faith and to share the gospel. Are you doing that? Are you allowing others to mentor you? Are you allowing others to teach you? Are you growing in your faith? So many Christians get saved and they grow maybe for a period of two or three years and then they just continually repeat those years over and over again. We need to grow and continually per be pursuing the word of God and, and growing in our faith. That's why it's important for us to be challenged and be encouraged one with another. And my other question is, how is your heart of compassion today? Is there, is there someone, is there a need that God has led you to be a help with? Is there some, some project or, or even just your local church that you're like, wow, we could really make a difference in this area. And you've been sort of holding back. You've been struggling with trusting God at this time. Would you would you trust him in that? Would you show the heart of compassion like this church at Antioch did? They didn't even know what was to come. They didn't even know uh, what it all was gonna involve, but they said, hey, you know what? Let's all get together. Let's, let's all do that. Let's be compassionate. And some of us have more means than others. And that's the truth. We have more opportunity to share and to give as we can, but we must do according to our ability and trust God. But it starts with the heart, that we have a heart of compassion. I wonder today, would you trust him? That's really what it comes down to. Would you trust him? Maybe, maybe someone today who's watching, you need to be saved. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you to reach out to us through the live chat or would you go to citybaptist.ca forward slash Jesus? Or if you go to the website, there's a, a tab that says good news and you can read that information and you can reach out to us. We'd love to see you accept Christ today. Accept Christ today. Don't put it off any longer. 
And when you do that, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, as the Bible tells us, and you will also receive eternal life, but you'll understand the Word of God in a unique way, and then God will really begin to work in you and to do something with your life like you've never experienced before because you'll have that confidence that heaven is your home. I hope that you will trust in Him today. But church family, for those of you that are saved, you know Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you those thoughts again. Are you passionate for the gospel? Are you desiring spiritual growth? And do you have a heart of compassion for other people? We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Vance City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.